Good morning, Ian. How are you? Morning, Jill. I'm very good, very good. Off the vineyard, but very good. <laughs> you are off the vineyard. So you're actually in Port Douglas. That's very different to McLaren Vale. What's happening up there? Yeah, ever, ever so slightly, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, this is this is my old stomping ground. I'm up visiting parents at the moment, but um, this is uh, my life before, uh, before the wine industry, so before vineyards. I was in Port Douglas for, for 20 years, so, yeah. It's a very beautiful part of the world. So how did you move from being in northern Queensland into the world of wine? Tell us your story. Um, I only really knew wine from the other side of the bottle or <laughs> out of the glass, you know. So, um, Nothing uh, wrong with that. And I, no, no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> it's going to start somewhere. Um, and uh, so I, I sold my company up here and put the company up for sale. I was in my sort of mid-30s. Um, and um, we just started looking around. We looked all around the world, actually, for where we were going to go. And um, we ended up in Wollonga by accident on New Year's Day after being at a friend's place. And uh, just fell in love with the place. Just just felt like home. And um, I was going to buy a block of land overlooking vineyards and olive groves and let other people do the work, you know. Like I could just watch <laughs> them do the hard work and I will just enjoy being and I walked mm-hmm. onto a vineyard with a friend of mine and just went, yeah, I just had a feel. And we made the guy an offer. And a quarter of an hour later, he said yes. Wow. Went, no, oh, crap, we learn how to grow grapes, I suppose. So, um, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. What happened? Well, this, how hard could this be? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a good way to get rid of some money. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, it's that really but, takes uh, terroir to a new level, doesn't it? Like it's um, removing the grapes, like you step foot on it, and it's like your whole your whole life, as you know, it basically changes. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, dramatically, dramatically. Mm. It wasn't so much a a learning curve as a right angle. Um, <laughs> I uh, I employed a viticulturalist and annoyed the producers out of him for you know I sort of walked around the vineyard with him once. One day a week, I just had him on the vineyard just because I'm a, like, why person. Not, are we doing that? Okay, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? So he kept throwing books at me and saying, learn this, learn this, learn this. And um, and I had a contract with Durenberg for five years. Ah, it came at the vineyard. Right. So, um, yeah, so we went along that way. Uh, and, of course, being Grenache, there was a connection with Durenberg and, and Chester. Yes. Chester actually um, sourced the... Um, the cuttings for the Grenache 30 years ago from when they were doing vine pools. It right. was a very old vineyard in McLaren Flat. Um, so, yeah, they, they're um, old McLaren Vale. They're, they're 33 years old now. But, yeah, right. uh, they were from They were from 100-year-old stock then. So there's a, that connection again. So. Oh, look, well, you fell in with the right family in McLaren Vale, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, some Grenache lovers because I love Grenache and that's the reason, one of the reasons we bought the vineyard. Um, it was because it was Grenache, and I'd already had a, a bit of a love affair with Grenache to start with. So, well, let, let's just uh, let's just quickly take that point for a moment because in our in our previous chats, uh, you have mentioned apart from the fact mm. that okay, I'm the only one who can see you, but I can see that you're wearing a shirt that says Grenache, McLaren Vale. Like you're you're literally the walking yeah. pinup man, right? Um, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great Angoves t-shirt they did uh, a few <laughs> years back and. I loved them and I bought like 10 of them and I think because I had, I didn't think I had a cease and desist on that one because it's sort of, sort of the Top Gun logo. But um, It is. <laughs> no, I love yeah, it. Yeah. And even further, you have a... Uh, from, but. 
you also have a tattoo of a Grenache. Yeah, I've got a bunch on, of on grapes. My forearm, I've got a, a bunch of Grenache that was actually it was a photo taken out because I look out my bedroom window in the morning. I look at Grenache, and I took a photo of this beautiful bunch with sun hitting it one day, and then a friend did a watercolor of it. And that friend's a tattoo artist, and then she did the tattoo of the watercolor of the photo of the thing I've looked at. So, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, Grenache is really got under my skin, so to speak. Really, I, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I actually just was <laughs> chatting to my husband a couple of weeks ago. When we were in France, there was a, a waitress, she was a gorgeous girl. And um, while she was pouring in some wine, I noticed that she had a little tattoo just on the, just you know, um, in between the, the thumb and forefinger and quite a delicate mm. sort of place. And it looked really, it looked really quite cool. And I thought, oh, is that a wine glass? And funnily enough, it was a frothy beer glass. I'm like, that's just a really odd thing right. to have. She was a very petite, beautiful Parisian type. It was yeah. classic, yeah. but it made me think yeah. if I were to get a tattoo right there, a little wine glass, so I'm with you. I, I like it. And I like the Grenache yeah. gets under your skin. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. When, when we first had the vineyard, it was sort of like, um, if you want the Shiraz, you go take the Grenache, and now it's now with the uh, the the love of Grenache swelling, which I'm very very happy about. It's yes. now if you want if you want the Grenache, you go take the Shiraz as well. So yeah, totally. I, mean, I, I make I, I make the wine off the block as well, but then I sell the excess grapes and add on to um, different wineries and have done over the years. So um, yeah, so uh, but it's a it's a real uh, it's, it's switched itself around, you know, with Grenache. Yes. You know, uh, yeah, sort of a thousand dollars a ton fifteen years ago, and now it's like three thousand dollars a ton. Yes, and Shiraz has done the flip as well. So absolutely, that's just that's just a roller coaster ride of the wine of being a grower in the wine industry. For sure, I remember Ga Gary Osborne said to me you know, the first growers dinner we did up there. He says, um, "Do you like roller coasters?" I went, mm. "Yeah." He said, "Well, you might be all right in the wine industry then, but if you don't <laughs> like roller coasters, get off now." Yeah, <laughs> his diary was always very dry, but um, yeah, so that was uh, pretty much just the roller coaster ride. So, well, it's say, also I'm, I'm a yeah, I'm no, a grower and a, and a maker, so um, you have a bad vintage um, of, of yield, so you're upset as a grower. But then, when the fruit's fantastic, you take that hat off, put your winemaking hat on, and you feel a bit better about the whole situation. So, yep. yeah, so yep. <laughs> there's always that's, something that's to take it. out of a year. Yeah. I guess the other thing with uh, Grenache is like way back in the day, it was really always just used, at least in Australia, as a blend. You know, it was yeah. like the beautiful GSM. Times, yeah. yeah, it wasn't uh, It wasn't so much the, you know, mono varietal. And now it's just, well, it's one of my absolute favourite varietals. And, you know, you speak to anyone and they're all like, I oh, love, love a Grenache. So especially from the yeah. Clarendale. So you're actually Sellers Hill, aren't you? Yeah, so we're, we're down where there's the, uh, an airfield, an aerodrome down there, Aldinga, and we're just down there. So we're in sort of the base of the foothills. Mm. So we're in between, what I say, we're in between the Alma Hotel in Wollonga and the Victory Hotel at Selig Hill. So right. both pubs are equally far away, so they're right. equally close, depending on your week. <laughs> of course. So tell us about your Grenache. I mean, we may as well uh, stick on this. So you only yeah, produce sure. Grenache and Shiraz, and through that you do obviously a blend of them. You also do a Grenache Blanc, which I really want to talk about later because that's one of my yeah, faves yeah. at the moment. So tell us about the characteristics and different styles of them. Yeah, it would definitely. Um, well, I, I've always made my Grenache without any oak. Yeah. Um, my first Grenache I made didn't have any oak. And my, my problem with that I had with Grenache, uh, Australian Grenaches at the time, 
was they were being made like Shiraz. They were being made as a bold fruit and as a big fruit. And, and she's not. She's really delicate. And she's sweet and, and really elegant. And people were trying to get this big extraction out of it um, instead of letting it sing. And I think that the oak for me took away some of the beautiful sort of little nuances of Grenache. So mm. that's why I've always made mine that way. And I've always been very gentle with the fruit. Yeah. Um, so I, I use a water press now. Um, which is very gentle. I only use about one uh, one bar um, on the pressing, and our extraction is quite low. But I like that really soft floral sort of style. Mm. So we're on alluvial clays and limestone. Um, so we end up with a, a different sort of a characteristic to say something you get off sands that you get in the McLaren flat or or around Kangarilla and places like that. Um, but it's very distinctive of the of that sort of area because it's very windy down in Selix Hill. Yeah. Um, and it, you tend to get a, a really nice tannin profile, which I don't know how you manage to pick it up. I think we pick it up through the winds on the skins on something. Mm. But uh, <laughs> it just seems to be that area. Yeah, yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful grape, and I, I love the way, it, I mean, I used to call it my British backpacker because when it was hot and sunny, it'd just be laying out there going, yeah, yeah, give me some more, give me some more. You know, whereas... You know, the Shiraz looks like a, a hot, hot, windy day in summer. It looks like it's just been dragged through a hedge backwards. Yeah. And yeah. Grenache is just standing proud and shining with his beautiful lime leaves. So hang on a sec. Yes. yes. Someone's trying to bloody call me. Oh, that's all right. I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll carry on for a bit. So um, very impressively, your uh, 2017 Grenache uh, was awarded 95 points by Halliday. Um, which is, you know, that's that's quite a big feat. And uh, looking at uh, all of your wines, they've been awarded very nicely. So um, you're obviously, you so, know, sorry about that. I dropped out. No, that's okay. Don't worry. I, I, I just kept shouting until you came back on. <laughs> I'm good at that. Um, I was actually just. Um, I'm a great grower, and not a. I'm a techno cripple. So. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I was just commenting on the um, the awesome uh, 95 points that Halliday gave your 2017 Grenache. So, can you tell us uh, a bit more specifically about um, about that particular vintage? Yeah, 17 was. Um it was a it was a great vintage because it was long as well. So um, we were heading into Anzac Day before we finished the ferments. It was um, it was which was great because we had long sunsets and we were sort of very chilled. Um, it was a great volume year, so it was a great grower year as well. But I just decided the fruit was just so pretty that year that I just went went hard and I actually made the most amount of wine I'd ever made that year. Just on that, I did um, I did nineteen pallets of that wine. Right. Um, and now I do, now I've gone all the way back and I'd only do 100 cases of each wine now. Right. So okay. I was going to ask you about production. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's, yeah. re that's really, really gone down. So tell us well, a bit I'm about really your. I'm glad I made a lot that year and it actually worked out. So <laughs> it was yeah. a great wine, a great year. And Everything happens for a reason, a Ian. That's right. That's right. Actually, hearing your stories, it sounds very much like uh, you've got a lot of fortune on your side, a lot of um, the universe working in your favour and uh, and sort of choosing your fate with yeah. the vintages and where you tend to put your feet. And it's um, that's that's great to hear. Can you tell us a bit about your Grenache Blanc? Because that's a I, I love a good Grenache Blanc. If I see it on a menu, I'm I'm pretty yeah. hard pushed to not pick it up. So tell us about how you make yours. Yeah. Well, um, very. I I bought the fruit. I've just grafted onto some Shiraz now, and I've got some coming through. 
but the fruit I've got at the moment is from Yangara. So I got the fruit from um, Pete Fraser out of Yangara. Um, mm. And um, and I've decided, I've sort of made mine in a more of the uh, South African style. I looked at the right. ganaches from all over, mm. um, and that, that really sort of struck me. The more of the South African ones, um, it was a hell of a thing to taste all through all the wines and trying to find what I wanted. Um, that was a, a quite a quite a boozy couple of weeks but um because a lot of them are running a lot of the american ones are running at 14 and a half and 15 percent alcohol yeah um so um, I, I mine is 12 i run mine at 12 and a half very soft extraction no oak at all mm. um and i treat i really chill it really hard before i press it as well so we crush it and we're on we run it through refrigeration several times until it's like super cold and then we crush it, and it tends to hang on to that sort of fruit, uh, the fruit notes that I want out of it. So that sort of sort of pomelo and things like that coming on in there. Oh, um, nice. I always, I always sort of make wines um, with food in the in the back of my mind because I'm a mad chef. So ah, mad good cook. to know. Um, <laughs> so I always, um, I always sort of think oh what can i do with this and what sort of notes am i picking up and i don't think you can find a winemaker who can't cook or winemakers to cook a decent mm. meal yeah, and make mm. a good coffee hand in hand. so um but <laughs> definitely definitely but so what would you in, yeah oh no i'm just asking so what what is in your mind when you're making your grenache what sort of style of food do you have any specific dishes that you that you really own um uh, well at the moment, I think it's a great match with um, dumplings, of course. You know, everybody loves a good dumpling on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so a good plate of dumplings and a Grenache Blanc is, um, yeah, that's a match made in heaven. So that's one okay. of our faves. We can go down because we're right now on Selix Beach and things like that. We take the dogs down the beach and we come back after a walk, big walk down the beach and we do dumplings and um, dumplings and either Riesling or but good Grenache Blanc these days. And uh, sit outside and look over the vineyard. So it's it's tough, but you know. Yeah, but someone's got to do it. So what about your straight right. Grenache? What do you love to pair with your Grenache? Even like to, to choose the twenty seventeen, one of your absolute top ones. What yeah. would you be pairing it with? Um, oh, you know, it is your best friend for anything. It really is your wingman when it comes to food Grenache. I mean, you can <laughs> you can put it with anything, and it will either stand up or lie down. It's very subservient for what you want to have with it. I mean. Sure. Um, for me, for me personally, it's something with a little bit of spice. Um, you know, anything from pork belly through to confit duck. Um, I do I do food pairings on the vineyard for for my wine club, and I do a five spice confit duck leg done on a like an Asian slaw, and that's just perfect for it. So, Yum. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But and that's what I mean. But you can also put it with the steak, or you can whack it with a like a poutinesque. Totally, it's great. Mm. It can't, yeah. It still yeah. stands up with that sort of food, doesn't it? It's very it versatile. Really does, Love so. that. Love it. Yeah. Well, it, it, would be, it brings out different things in different years. But I mean, yeah. the, you get that star anise and violets and sort of red currants and the crunchy red fruits that come through and just either clean something up or moulds into it and breaks through some of the fat. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, yum. So I'm just aware with a few few minutes to go, I really want to touch on the uh, sustainability and regenerative agricultural uh, topic, which um, is is quite big for you. So how about I hand over to you, talk us through um, how deep you guys are into that. 
Yeah, um, I, I went down a rabbit hole. I had a uh, major back surgery a year ago, and I was sort of laid up. And uh, Dudley Brown from Inkwell Wines, Dudley and Arena, uh, he just started sending me links on regenerative farming and soil microbiomes and et cetera, et cetera. And I went down the rabbit hole big time. As right. in my wife, when I start talking about soil now, my wife tries to leave the room. But um, oh. so... <laughs> Um, and it all didn't, it sort of really made sense. I started off with a few books, Nicole Masters and Dr. Christine Jones and are amazing people. I did a soil masterclass with Nicole Masters in Orange this year. She came out from Montana and did that. And it was great to see there was so many young farmers there um, uh, from all broad, from all spectrums of agriculture. But we, we try, we're not doing any, trying not to have any chemicals on the vineyard at all when we can mm-hmm. um the thing about regen farming is it, it is there's no there's not a rule to it it's not you're not being audited you're not doing this but what you're doing is just your best practice so sure. what you're trying to do is not have anything on i work with jock bosworth from uh, bosworth wines i worked for jock for six years right. so, and jock's been organic for 25 years so he's sort of the guru of organics um and he taught me about being present in the vineyard and that you can't just put a spray out and just leave it and go. You actually have to be there, have to read your vineyard, you have to walk through your vineyard. Um, and I think now, more so than ever, I sort of did that when I went down this soil rabbit hole. I actually went outside and apologised to my soil. I'm like, I didn't know. You know, I've been treating you like dirt for all these years. Um, and so we're basically, we're vermicast um, and we put out like, uh, so the vermicast mixes and teas and EM1s and we spray them out. Um, and it's had a dramatic effect in the vineyard in just a year, a year, a year and a half. I can pull a clump of grass out the ground now and it's got these dreadlocked roots on it. So all the exudates, all the exudates and everything are just wrapped around all these roots. And it's just, and then there's just a pile of worms in the ground. And this is only having, this has been doing this. I mean, it was never a really unhealthy vineyard, but, Doing this for just a year has had a massive impact. Um, and I, well, Dudley and Arena have just done carbon tests on theirs, and over three years they've increased their soil carbon by 20% wow. in the entire vineyard. Wow. Um, and that's from doing uh, like multi species cover crops. So at the moment I've got a 12 species cover crop in across the vineyard. So the more families of cover crop you have in, the more. You get this biome going where one mm. does something else and they all talk to each other and they all feed each other. So yeah. it gives you, it, it builds the soil. Like it's um, The more families and it just goes up by percentages, it's like the Richter scale. So you've got three different crops in, you'll do 10%, say 10%. If you've got 12 in, it'll be 90%. Wow. the photosynthesis and the photosynthesis and everything and the bricks in the in all your even your weeds and everything it just goes through the roof um and, and it's and it's really really simple and that's the yeah. problem with it um yeah. it's not the moron effect it's not like you don't put the moron oh that's good so we'll put more on you gotta get your head around <laughs> putting you know five liters of vermicast spraying out over the over you know a 20 acre vineyard yeah and that and that's enough. You don't need to do any more. Um, but trying to get your head around that from a conventional style is uh, is tricky. It's tricky. Yes. But we've got Rick Richard Leask in McLaren Vale. He's uh, an amazing um, viticulturalist and, and, and winemakers as well. But 
he's been doing the regenerative track for a long time and you walk on his vineyards in summer and they're spongy. Yeah. Brown, spongy. It is just, you can stick your hand in the ground and pull out soil. Mm. Um, if you try to do that on a normal vineyard in summer, you break your fingers. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it's yeah. absolutely amazing. The water ingress, the holding capacities, um, and, and not having bare soil either. So instead yeah. of not having bare soil, we'd, we all love to look at a vineyard that looks like a golf course, you know, it's nice and green down the middle and there's no weeds underneath the vines. Mm -hmm. um, but that amount, the, the, the amount of moisture you lose through trans-evaporation on that bare soil, which is a third of your vineyard, basically, yeah, um, is massive. It's absolutely massive. So it's just getting those cover crops, getting the right cover crops and the right things to actually do under vine as well. And that yep. way you don't need any herbicides. You're not doing tractor passes. You're not compacting the soil. It all sort of flows together. I mean, it does. It almost creates like less work for you, and it is just a way yeah. that uh, that everyone well, really kind of has way, to. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's like you know you have to jump on this bandwagon, or you're going to get left behind anyway. So you see it oh, so often. And yeah. the next interview I have with Tony Allen, he's um he's very in, uh, into the sustainability as well. So it'll be great to also get his take. But it's um it's awesome to hear how how you've set about it and exactly what you and your wife are doing. Um, at Dabblebrook, you know, it's, um, I seriously, I, I suggest everybody check out these wines. I reckon you're going to 2017, if I could get my hands on it, would be sensational. But, um, well, we'll, we'll look, so we can get something coming your way. Oh, Ian, that would be wonderful. <laughs> we'll take that off air. <laughs> Ian, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful Not chat. A I really appreciate you dialing in from Port Douglas and um, enjoy the rest of your time with your family. And I'll, uh, I'll look you up when I'm next in McLaren Vale. How's that? Please do, please do. Awesome. I'll cook you some of that, cook you some of that duck.